Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup, and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25, in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. What's up, guys? I'm Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men, and I really hate the summer. We've got the World Juniors coming up next week to help break up the no-hockey summer doldrums, but outside of Mikey Anderson and Sean Dursley hopefully signing extensions soon, there's nothing on my Kings calendar until, like, mid-September. Fortunately, on recent episodes, we've been able to talk to Mark Yannetti about the draft process and the draft results. We've talked to Jared Stoll about development camp, but today, today you guys were talking to Glenn Murray, Director of Player Development, about the development process beyond development camp. It's yet another great conversation, in my humble opinion, from another front office member, and I want to thank Mark, Jarrett, and Glenn for being so open and patient with my questions. I want to thank everybody uh, behind the scenes that's helped put this together. So, that being said, I hope you guys enjoy it. Joining us now, Glenn Murray, Director of Player Development for your LA Kings. Glenn, how are you doing today? Great. How are you guys doing? Excellent. Thank you. And of course, Zach Dooley. How are you doing today, Zach? Jesse, great to be back. Uh, excited for this one. Yeah. So, Glenn, we're going to start off with, uh, I don't know, I guess you could call it an icebreaker. Uh, do you remember who you scored your first NHL goal against? Uh, yeah, I think, well, if, if you ask someone and they don't remember, that's not that's not probably pretty, <laughs> that's not very good. So, Ron, Ron, Ron Tugnut. Oh, former Anaheim Duck, Ron Tugnut. Yes, Ron Tugnut, years ago. Feels like 100 years ago. So uh, for anybody listening that doesn't know, uh, Glenn, you played over a thousand games in the NHL. You played for the Kings from uh, 96 to 2001. Now, I I was at game six, 2001, Kings versus Avalanche. You scored the overtime game winner um, prior to maybe 2010, the highlight of uh, Kings. But, well, I guess 93, the cup run. But uh, anyway, my question is... Uh, do you remember who set up that goal for you in overtime? Oh, I think it was uh, it was Brian Smolinski and Nelson Emerson. Well, if my, Emer- if my, Emerson was one. It might have been uh, it might have been Aaron Miller, the defenseman, might have passed it up to Nelson. I, I what's on record there? Because you never Emerson. Know. Emerson's the only assist on record, and I honestly oh, okay. don't. I remember your shot. I didn't remember that Nelson Emerson <laughs> got the assist on it. Um, I've asked Eric Belanger, a teammate of yours from that team in the past, and I'll ask you now, and apologies if this is a sore subject, but I believe that the Kings would have won the Stanley Cup that year had you found a way to get past Colorado in Game 7. Am I just wearing my fan glasses too, too hard in that? No. No, it's pretty – I mean, if you, ask, if you ask Rob, he'll say something different. Sure. Because <laughs> Rob was on the other end. Yeah. But it was Game uh, – I can't remember which game. I think it was Game 7. I can't remember. But they were – we scared them. And we had uh, Felix Potvin was incredible. 
Um, they we took them to Game Seven, and like you said, it was we had our chances in Game Seven. I think Spolinski hit the post, and Ray Bork Waddick uh, smacked one under the net. It was going in, and in the air, he hit one under the air out of the net, and then uh, I think they scored two late goals, and they, they beat us. I think it was like four one or something like that. But yeah, we we had a good team. We we really uh, we just was we were on a little run. And uh, if you ask Rob, Rob would say it wasn't even close, even though we <laughs> beat us in seven. But uh, yeah, it was a it was a it was a great series. Well, I loved that team. Um, loved that team a lot. All right, let's get into player development. Uh, this first one is kind of a simple one, but it has the potential to be more complicated. What is player development? I think it's a mixture of a lot of things. I think uh, you have a staff <clears throat> that we, uh, we we talk, our staff talks every day, and we're fair. We all have the same goal is to make all these draft picks that we draft uh, play in the NHL. Uh, it's easier said than done. Obviously, not everyone's going to play. So that's our main objective is to get to know these kids, get to know their families, get to know how, how they uh, – their emotional side, their off ice side, uh, what they can, how they learn, how they can take in things, what type of player they want to be, um, what their hobbies are. Like it, it's, it's a whole mixture of things, I think. And, and it's not just one person. Uh, it's impossible to do that with one person because as you know, over the years, over these past, I guess, four to five years that we've had a lot of young, very talented players and like i said not all of them are going to make it but we have uh we have a big job on our hands to make these players uh the next uh anze kopitar's uh dustin brown so and uh jonathan quicks and and obviously doesn't happen overnight patience is a very huge word in development uh you have to be patient you have to you know you go see them play and you go talk to them and and they want to these kids nowadays want to like they're 19, 18, 19 years old. They, they, they want to be in the the top line center and the top defenseman on the team and play 25 minutes and play 20 minutes as a forward and kill penalties and on the power play. And but it, it doesn't happen that way. You have to be patient. They have to work on their game. And, and that's uh, what uh, myself and our staff, the player development staff, uh, uh, a little bit of what we do. We had Mark Unetti on recently, and, and he was very complimentary of the way that you and your crew, you know, operate and develop the players that, that he's able to select. And without giving us any internal secrets, I guess, you know, what separates the Kings? Like, are there any things that you guys really take pride in with what you do in those areas specifically to have had such a strong track record for developing some of these younger guys? I think we really, I mean, like I said, you know, our staff and, and our staff is, been with us for a few years now and they've they've all played uh from different you know mike donnelly's been with us for you know 15 to 20 years and he really has a good feel of uh how the players uh should work on different things and he has a great personal relationship with them we have jared stoll yeah all-around great person and, and off the ice and giving them different uh you know situations or how they should uh, handle themselves and on the ice obviously and and uh, uh, Matt Green and Sean O'Donnell. I mean, we're very lucky to have those guys work with our D. I don't think there's really a secret. I think we just really take great pride in in teaching these kids and helping them in any way they can to make it to the NHL. Uh, let it if it's a seventh rounder, sixth rounder, first rounder, whatever it may be. 
and we're lucky enough to be taught by Mike O'Connell. Obviously, now he's with the Flyers. And he he taught us a lot uh, throughout the years, and uh, he's been a great uh, great help to us. To, to he we taught and learned. We we learned from him, and uh, and not that we did haven't had our own experiences, but uh, we've all gone through different experiences uh, throughout our careers, and I think we really help our players, the young players, out to explain it to them and teach them. There's some overlap between the guys, the names that you just read off. You know, Mike Donnelly played uh, the bulk of his career a little bit before you played the bulk of your career that came a little bit before the bulk of uh, Stoll and Green's career at Sean O'Donnell, um, more of a of um, your contemporary. But what are some of the things that you guys didn't have in your careers that you are now able to provide for younger players? And Or, or I guess what I'm asking is, do you look at things that weren't available to you guys and say, wouldn't it be great if, and then provide th- that to younger players? Yeah, of, of course. Like, I don't think any of us really had the development, a development staff when we were having our careers. I think it's a lot of, you know, it's different, different, different eras, different uh, times in, in the game. But these kids, uh, I think we're a great sounding board. There's a lot of ups and downs that go throughout a career or throughout a week or throughout a weekend or, you know, of games. And, and I think the, the players, our draft picks and our players really feel comfortable. They know we're not their coaches. They know we're not in charge of their ice time. We want to help them in any way. And I think we're a great sounding board for, they can come to us, you know, with anything. And I think they all feel very comfortable. Like I said, let it be uh, the seventh rounder, the first rounder. Uh, they feel very comfortable. We didn't have that different eras like i said and, and that's fine and we we made out all right but i think one thing if you ask them all they we all would probably say that we would have that someone to bounce different things off them from uh you know weekend to weekend or daily so that sort of is an excellent side door into this question do you believe so is development there to make a good player marginally better or is development a tool that can take a good player and make him great or a great player and make him transcendent i think it's it, it goes i think it helps in all situations i mean a great player is a great player mm-hmm. right the, the the great players are the reason they're great because they they figure it out really quickly they you know sometimes we always say it you can see a great player when they go from leave from they go from the college to nhl and how long it takes them to fig- figure the NHL out. Those great players, it usually takes them about two months, <laughs> maybe three months. Those are great players. But college kids that come to the NHL, the good players, it maybe takes them a year, maybe takes them two years. The same with the OHL or the CHL or the European. So it really, we kind of do, we have it all covered, I think. I think we can make a marginal player or maybe not, Maybe we can make it. I think we can make an AHL player into an NHL player. We can. We. I think we can. We can touch all all three of those things. Let's compare you and uh, a player who played a little bit later than you did, um, Jonathan Chichu. You were you were a first round pick. Um, it took you seven years to score twenty goals and twelve years to score forty goals, but you wound up playing more than a thousand games. You scored over three hundred goals. Meanwhile, a guy like Chichu, he plays half the number of, of games you do in his career, scores half the number of goals that you do, but they come early and in one, you know, he has one season of, I think, 56 goals and one of 37. And then a few years later, he's out of the league. 
We now know um, statistically that a player's peak is, I think, from 24 to 26. What makes one player have a, a, a longer runway as far as reaching that peak? And what makes some players peak early and then disappear? Is it is it situational? Is it teammates? Is it something like development and coaching? Are you guys aware of those differences? Uh, does that play a role at all in, in your jobs? Yeah, I think it, it, it's all of the above. It really is all of the above because depending on where you get drafted, depending on if the coach likes the player, depending on if the team likes the player, is there a trade involved with someone else? Like certain players will not really excel on a certain team. And sometimes that player will not excel until they're maybe their second or third or fourth team. It, it, it all depends on the situation. It might be, they don't like the city. It might be, they don't like the, whatever it may be. Uh, but everyone, I mean, we can go through the whole league. There's a, a, a whole whack of different players that are, you know, they come out of college and they're high scoring forward and they, they come to the NHL and they're the third line center or they're the third line checking winger. And it, there's all kinds of different situations. And sometimes it happens the other way. There's a kid in junior that gets, I don't know, 50 or 60 points a year, which is, is still pretty good and comes to the NHL and he turns into an all-star. I mean, it's, it, Sometimes the situation, it was just wasn't hit where, where he wasn't junior. But when he got to the NHL, he matured. He saw his role increase. His coach really liked him. And he, he took advantage of uh, the opportunity he had. And sometimes that's all it is. Sometimes uh, a young kid or however old they are, they, they get that opportunity, they grab it and they run with it. And, uh, a lot, you know, obviously it, it depends on the player. The player has to, you know, we're here to help, but it all, depends on the player going out and, and performing. Do you think that your own path that did take a little bit longer helps you to have patience with some of these younger guys? If you look at like Adrian Kempe, if the organization didn't have patience with Adrian Kempe, they might not have seen this 35 goal season, you know, with, with the expectations maybe externally that are to push forward quickly. Do you think that's been helpful with maybe guys like that who do need a little bit more time? For sure. I think uh, when Adrian came over, he went right to the American League, and and he was uh, he wanted to learn. He was a quiet kid. He had all the skills, and uh, I think I mean at the time he wouldn't say that, but now I think if he looks back on it, it that's the probably the most playing in the American League. He played the next year when we moved to Ontario. Uh, he played the next year in, in the American League, and it still it wasn't quite there yet. Then he came to the NHL. He he didn't score 30 goals right away. He, he's a great example. Patience is very, very hard in, uh, in, a, in a game that we play, and it's all about wins, wins and losses. And if that player can, is not helping or performing or helping the team in any way, it's, it's, it's very hard to be patient, uh, no question about it. And uh, you, you, have to do, you have to try your best to be, that, be patient. But, and, and, on, and Kempe is a great example. He's turned into like an all-star. Turned into an all star. He was an all star. So very lucky for you know our whole organization, uh, right from Rob down to the development staff to everyone involved, that uh, we're patient with him, and he's turned into. We're very lucky to have him. Patience is a pretty difficult trait to find in a lot of people. Um, 
certainly in fans and i say that as a as an impatient fan myself i'm not trying to slander <laughs> any kings fans and not not include myself in that um there is a perception among a portion of the fan base that the kings are better at developing late round picks uh as compared to high profile picks and the reason i'm bringing it up now glenn is that you referenced adrian kempe and uh having patience and all of the different factors that lead into players succeeding. This Kings team is a team that has had Ange Kopitar since 2006, 2007, Dustin Brown since 2003. Jeff Carter was here for a, a great many years. Prior to that, you had uh, Ryan Smith, Justin Williams, Dustin Penner, Ilya Kovalchuk, Milan Lucic, Tyler Defoley, Tanner Pearson, Adrian, you're not going to run down the entire list, but a, a number of high profile, high caliber top six players from an organizational standpoint, when you have prospects who maybe their ceiling is top six player, but you don't have room for them, is that factored into their development track? Do you, do you, is is there a timeline created based on present players in the organization? No question about it. I mean, we are in this. Everyone will tell you this. This, this doesn't take a rock science to figure this out. We are very lucky and to have Anze Kopitar since 2000 and whatever it was, three or four. And he has given us more time to be patient. And it's not just Kopi. It's Brownie. It's Quickie. It's Drew. It's all those players that you have said, very lucky to have those players so we can be patient, so we can give them more time, so we can, the development staff can work with them, uh, and give them time when they do come to the NHL. They don't have to go into that role right away to be a top six. It's hard to be a top six player. Let's just say a top six forward. To be counted on every single night to score, to produce, and it's hard uh, for like a 19 or 20 or 21-year-old or 22-year-old, whatever it may be, to be that guy every single night. You're going to get the top pairs. You're going to get the top players. The You're going to be checked all night. You're, it, it's it's hard. And we, we as an organization, and everyone will say this, I'm not saying anything that you guys don't know, but it's we've been very, very fortunate to have a Kopitar in our organization. And, and uh, for us, with the players, the new draft picks to be patient. I feel like a perfect example of kind of the, what you just described is like Arthur Kelly of this last year, right? Like I, we all know that his upside is top six goal scorer, but maybe as a 19 year old, a 20 year old, he wasn't ready to be that top six player right away. And that's okay. Like, can it be beneficial for him to have to earn that spot? I guess to, to put it like, instead of just being given it to, to learn how to play in a fourth or a third line role, will that benefit him down the road when he is ready to be that top six forward? No question about it. I truly believe that maybe his agent or his people wouldn't believe <laughs> that, but it's, it's been nothing but help him, you know, last year or the two years ago, he was in the, in the American league, but during the, whatever we call it, the COVID season when there was, you know, we we're playing at uh, TSC, but it was, it, it's done nothing but help his game. He last year, if he would have been thrown in the top six, it, it it would have been very very difficult as a as a first year forward or first year top line scorer. It would have been very difficult to get the top line pairs every single night. It, it would be because that's what Kopitar gets. That's what 
you know, that's what Dano gets. They get the top, they get the best players matchups every single night. So to throw a young player into that top line matchup every single night, it's hard. It's hard. These guys are, there's a lot of good players and a lot of every team, maybe they're not the best teams, but they have top, top end guys. And I, I think it's been beneficial for us. And, and let's hope that that next one comes in next year and grabs a spot and plays his 12 to 14 minutes and doesn't get the top pairs and gets his feet wet. And, uh, and we, we, we hope we can continually do that every year. Bad calls, dirty slashing. We expect a little bull on the ice. But you know when we can't stand it? When we're tracking packages. Looking up tracking numbers, shipping statuses that never get updated. We call bullshit. So we got Route. It's the free app that tracks everything you order online in one place. Route sends us real-time tracking updates, or we can pop into the app to see where our stuff is on an actual map. Download the Route app in the App Store or Google Play, or head to route.com to learn more. No bullshit, just great tracking. I'm going to try and uh, weave in a couple fan questions here, but this one is, I'm going to try and reword it to address exactly what you're just talking about. The the question was, how much do you try and shield players from pressure, uh, and how much do you try and expose players to pressure? And I want to talk about what you just were referencing about, you know, a, a young player getting top opponents because we talked to Mark Yannetti and I think he was referencing some of the younger players drafted in the same class as say Quentin Byfield and saying, yeah, they go out there, they get all these minutes, but at the end of the night, they're a minus five in a game, you know, that their team loses eight to three or something. And sure, they get a couple goals. So where is that line drawn? And does the organization have a philosophy? Like you referenced, there are a lot of different voices, a lot of different guys, and you all have your different opinions. So who's responsible for crafting the organization's philosophy when it comes to shielding players from pressure versus exposing them to pressure? And I guess personally, where do you come down on the value of exposing players to the kind of pressure that you just talked about? It's a long question. Yeah, that's a long, yeah. So I think we talk as a, we, we do talk as a group, obviously Rob's the boss and we always, we get together and talk all kinds of different situations and when and how we, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult because you don't, you don't want the player to, it's hard to play to go into a game and be discouraged as a young player or, you know, sit on the bench and only play two shifts because you're a liability out there. So we really talk as a whole, as a group and, you know, Rob's the boss and, and we talk and we talk every day. So it's, it's it, depending on things change weekly or every not, I don't want to just say weekly. It could be monthly. It could be nightly. It could be depending on how that young player specifically has uh, progressed or we see he might be too tired because it's grueling, you know, playing in the West, uh, playing in the West is travel. There's, you know, living on your own for the first time. It's uh, maybe didn't eat right. Or maybe it, it is a whole mixture of things. So it's, it's, it depends you know, it really, uh, it, it all depends. Another fan question that I'm going to repurpose for this. Uh, the question was, do you approach first round picks any differently from later round picks? I'm going to assume the answer is no. But based on what we we're just talking about, I'll ask it this way. Is there anything a player can do in a short period of time to indicate to you that they don't need that kind of patience is there is there something a prospect can do can come into a first camp and show that whether it's his character or his skill level or his compete level 
puts him on a faster track or a, or a less careful track? Uh, I would say I haven't seen it. Not for myself. I haven't seen it yet. I think every player, no matter first round, second round, third round, you know, I don't think, I mean, two players maybe come to mind are uh, Crosby and McDavid. Those are the only two that I can think you don't have to be patient with. They're obviously superstars, but all, no, I can't, I can't think of anyone that uh, has come in and had the whole package right away. Uh, no, like, uh, I'm sure, you know, in 03, Kopitar had, I think even maybe they were, they, you know, he obviously played in the NHL right away, but there was certain, he had to monitor his minutes, I'm sure, but he was, he was pretty good right away. Um, so no, there's, there's, for, since I've been here, no, I haven't seen it. When a player's drafted, um, we, we asked Mark uh, his side of this question, so I'll ask you your side of it. How much input does the scouting staff have in making a prescription for a development strategy, and and how much input does the development team have on a, on a draft strategy? Uh, development staff, zero for a draft strategy. Okay. Uh, Makes and, sense. Uh, for, yeah, for, for us... And I think our development staff have a close relationship with Yanetti and his staff. So it might be we we draft a kid from uh, the USHL, and it would be Teddy Blau, or, or uh, we would talk to him and say he would give us all the uh, – they know the kids. And if it was a guy from the OHL, we talked to Chris Burr and Brian Denny, and they would give us an understanding of the, the player. Because we don't know them. You know, the player – player development staff we don't know these players until we get to meet them that's our first you know our first interaction is with them at the draft we they come up to the suite we introduce ourselves and our, this is we take it over from there but we always definitely interact with uh wherever that player is drafted from say it's europe then we talk to christian rutu uh and get us uh, he'll give us all the information on the kids because these damage goats do an enormous amount of work to understand these kids off ice on ice. And uh, we definitely have a lot of interaction with them for sure. Looking at it through that lens. Uh, once you get these players, they come to development camp. It's kind of your group's first time to work with those players and meet those players. And we asked Mike Donnelly this question, but I want to see if you kind of have the same thoughts. Is development camp as much about giving the players a chance to, learn the organization's way as it is for the organization to learn the player's way? Of course, I think it goes both ways. I think it's our first real, it is our first real interaction with them on ice and see, bringing them to LA and being in our environment and seeing our facilities and seeing how we work. We don't really development campus five days. We can't throw a lot of stuff at them right away because these kids, most of them, not most of them, some of them go back to college and we won't see them until next year development camp. We see them throughout the season when they're playing with their teams, but we don't want to throw 30 things at them right away. We kind of start with the basics, maybe one, two or three things throughout those five days to kind of just see how they react to what we're trying to teach or and see how they learn. And I think it's 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 a lot. You can't give them, like I said, a lot of things at once. It's just kind of the first interaction with their staff, understanding what that we're here to help them in in any way, on ice, off ice. And I think it's a we we create relationships with these players, and uh, that goes a long way. They they get to understand that we're here for them, 
in any way and get them to know that they can trust us. This is a question from a Kings fan. What are some skills that are easier to quote unquote develop? And what are some of the harder ones? Oh, the easy. There's no easy ones. I don't think there's, there's right. especially because it's just jumping from league to league from the OHL to Europe to is not really easy. Uh, geez, there's, there's a lot of hard things. That's for sure. Understanding. I mean, as a, as a, as a defenseman, understanding the importance of, you know, going back for a puck and getting the puck and getting it up to the forwards and getting it out of your zone right away. For forwards, it's understanding. We've we've seen this, and I've seen it happen many times as a winger, going back to get the puck on the wall, making a wall play and getting it up and moving it and going the other way. Understanding of the importance of if you can't, if you're a winger, go on the wall and not turn it over. You have to be able to make a play because if you don't, you'll be in the middle of the bench and you'll be sliding left and right all night and not getting back on the ice. So it's it's getting them to understand the importance of that's the hardest thing. The getting them to understand you have to be able to play in your own zone for the coach to put you back out there. We talked to Jim Fox uh, a number of times, and uh, one of the things that he has said repeatedly, and apologies to Jim if I'm getting this wrong, but his take seems to be that by the time you're 18 or 19, you're pretty much who you are as a skater. Like you're not going to improve dramatically. Um, are there similar skills that, first of all, do you even agree with that? And secondly, from a physical standpoint, is that true of a lot of different skill sets or is there something about skating that makes it unique in that regard? Yeah, skating is very unique. I think uh, sometimes it doesn't happen very often, but I, I think you can definitely improve it a little bit or be more confident with your skating. I think skating is, uh, you know, if you're a great skater, you're always going to be a great skater. And there are players that are not very good skaters, but just being confident in your skating and maybe getting a little stronger. And, 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 you know, we have a a great skating coach, Dave Crookshank, and he's fantastic. And uh, I think just like being confident, like I think some players that, you know, they've probably been told that they're not a very good skater throughout their whole career. And it's just being confident in your skating. It maybe doesn't look like it, uh, Adrian Kempe skating because not many people can skate like him, but, being confident and understanding you're strong enough and your skating is good enough to get there and carry the puck and hold on to the puck. So it's, it's, it's a tricky one for sure, because uh, all, a lot of people around the league just talk about, Oh, he can't skate, but there's a, if you look at the game each night, there's a lot of players out there that, that, that aren't very good skaters, but they're confident in themselves and they're skating and they can get there. And, and uh, I think it's a, it's, it's a different one. It's a, it's a difficult one, but the, some, you know, like I said, they've been told that they're not very good skaters their whole life, but the, <laughs> that's not the case, right? You, you can be a, you can be confident in your skating and, and, and still do the job. So there's, there's this funny thing that happens when you're talking to people who are experts on anything. Uh, they forget that they're talking to people who aren't experts. And so a phrase like can't skate or isn't a very good skater is one of those phrases that I sort of chuckle at every time I hear it, because to my eye, every guy in the NHL can skate, you know, obviously, right? Like there's two interpretations of the phrase can't skate, right? There's like, you know, I can, well, no, I can skate, but there are people who have never been on ice skates before who 
can't skate, like literally. And then there are guys who, you know, Luke Robitaille, for example, quote unquote, couldn't skate. And you go, okay, fine, but he's in the Hall of Fame. So what are we even talking about? Um, there must be hundreds, if not thousands of little areas where you guys run into that. Having been successful at this profession in a, you know, to a level that, that most people could only ever dream of. Do you find it difficult to differentiate between like, yeah, okay, this guy's not good at faceoffs compared to Jarrett Stoll versus, you know, this guy needs a little work on his faceoffs. And, and where do you, how do you temper those expectations of your own, you know, personal accomplishments versus what the organization needs as like a baseline? Okay, this will be good enough. It's not going to get you in the Hall of Fame. It may not get you a 59% success rate in the faceoff dot, but like this is what, this is what the goal is and this is what we need to accomplish. Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, Luke was a terrible skater. He was terrible. <laughs> so I can say that because I, I was his roommate. So I can, I can, I, I'll, I'll, but it's, and, and, and I think if you ask Stoli too, like he, he probably, when he first came in the league, he wasn't at 60% face off in the, in the face off thought, but he understood it took him time to understand, okay, this might be my niche to kind of get on the ice more. I'm going to make this my thing. And he has, he, you know, and have a backup game and, and, and things like that. So I think it takes, I mean, with the, I know we're talking about skating, but different skill sets. I, I think those are great examples. And yeah, Luke was a terrible skater, but he understood where to be on the ice. And yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. So it's kind of a bad example, but there's a lot of players that can not, can be not very good skaters and be very successful. You just, they have another, I, I agree with the statement that, if you're in the NHL, you can't, you're not a terrible skater. No, it's a, no, that's not true. You, you can skate. So you're in, you made it to the NHL. So you're one of those players or 750 players that are playing in the NHL. So I don't, you have to be, but you have to have a backup game in a sense that, okay, if you're not a great skater, you're not an elite skater, then you have to understand where not to get yourself in trouble. And I think that's where we come in. We kind of like, we know these certain kids, okay, they're not, but let's do the, Make sure you're exceptional at this. Make sure you you hold on to the puck longer. Make sure you don't get caught in your own zone. There's all kinds of different things that can can take away from people thinking you're not a very good skater. Excel at these other things, and someone will never say you're a bad skater. Uh, I can't think of one other player, but I mean, Tyler Toffoli, not a great skater. I love the kid, and he's he understood... And he'll tell you, he goes, no, I'm not a good skater. But he understands the whole concept of what's going on on the ice. And he was, he couldn't make a wall play when he first came in the league. He understood, he learned it, he, we taught him. And he's a hell of a player. You know, he's a, he's a hell of a player. And, uh, every player is different for no question about it. But, uh, um, it, it makes our job, uh, not harder at all. Just, more uh satisfying when you see these certain players do these certain things and, and and make a career for themselves fully is a great transition to something that we wanted to touch on as well he came through the system when the ahl club was thousands of miles away in manchester um since then it's moved to ontario and now the base of operation is at the same rink that the la kings are at um it's probably an obvious answer but how much has that shift bringing the players under the same roof, giving you and your staff the opportunity to work with individuals on any given day, 
you know, enhanced what you guys are able to do with these players, you know, not only in junior, but as they get to the AHL as well? I think we're very lucky. Uh, I think there's a few teams, you know, we have the American League Pacific Division on the West Coast now, but we're very lucky. Uh, it's not that I didn't like to go to Manchester. I love going to Manchester and we, the whole development staff love doing that. But now that we, we can literally be on the ice every morning with them before practice or they can come up and we can do video with them. It very beneficial for us. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I can't think of exact number of teams, but there's not more than 10 or there's not more than, I don't even know if there's double digits that have the same, they're in the same facility as their NHL club. It's not just for the development staff. It's Todd McClellan, his coaching staff, to watch practice or see the players or interact with the player and interact with the, the coaching staff, the American League, because we're under the same roof. We practice after them. You know, the American League practices after them. They can talk to the coaches. How was last night's game? They could even, if they wanted to, go to the game in Ontario, even though it's only 40 miles and it takes you three and a half hours to get there because of traffic. But it, <laughs> it really is... It's it's very beneficial for our organization, and I think it's uh, it's helped us tremendously. Has that changed moving the AHL team to Ontario uh, and into the same practice facility? Does that then lead to a change in development strategy? So guys like maybe Kupari and Hellenius, does that incentivize bringing them over to North America maybe a year or two earlier than you ordinarily would because now you actually have direct day-to-day interaction with them? I think it helps. It doesn't hurt. That's for sure. I think it, uh, it, in different situations, I think maybe, you know, I can't think of an exact one, but those two are probably prime, prime ones right now that, uh, yeah, for sure. It definitely helps it and helps the, their agent and their, you know, their advisors that, uh, okay, they're under the same roof. They, they, they understand our development staff. We talk to the agents. Uh, we talk to the players. We, we, I think it's, it's very, very beneficial to have, interaction and they can you know and it helps if we do need to call a player up you know it was very difficult when we had players in manchester to call players up in a short short notice and having them in la in the pacific division it's it's much easier because they could be you know they'll be on the west coast for the most part if we need to call a player up they could be in bakersfield they could be in in uh stockton well not this year they'd be in calgary but uh, the players are very uh, close by to be able to, if there is an injury, if we want to see them for two or three games, we can call them up and, and play them at home. And, and, you know, all they have to do is cross, uh, walk over to the, the big club uh, locker room and there they are. They know the staff, they know the players because they see them every day. So it's, it's beneficial for sure. This is a, a fan question um, that seems like the appropriate time to introduce it here. Um, the question's about Ontario, since we're talking about it. And and this can also apply to uh, the larger club. But we heard from, I want to say it was Jared Stoll, that it is a clear priority of the organization that the Ontario reign be competitive and that that competitiveness will be good for overall development. Where is the line drawn between uh, providing the Ontario reign with players like TJ Tynan, who's now a back-to-back AHL MVP, who by himself can take over shifts. And, you know, I can't remember how many assists he got, 84 or something like that. Where's the line between the benefit of having a player like that or a Marty Furk who can score 40 goals, who can guarantee that your team will be competitive, but also takes minutes away from a player who might 
then be exposed to that pressure or that role in the AHL. Um, where where is the value in in the competitiveness of the team versus the value of tossing a guy in the deep end, um, even at a lower level? Very valuable. We're lucky that TJ's we have TJ Tynan. Uh, I think it's very beneficial in a sense that these young kids come in, and, and you guys know this. They come in and okay, you're going to the American League. They they think the American League's no good. They think it's it's a hard league. These veteran players play really hard. They play their asses off. They play and to watch TJ Tyne, we we it's something that we the development staff or the coaching staff just watch him every day. TJ Tynan is a prime example. He is the hardest working guy to every single detail the coaching staff talks about on the ice, off the ice for practices and games. He's like you said, he's the back to back MVP. He doesn't take a night off. And for those young guys to see this player 30-year-old player that's played the majority of his career in the American League work like he does, it's it's so beneficial for our organization, for these young players to see that, and, and a Martin Firk to go out every night and try to score goals every single night, which he almost does, and the work on his game, not necessarily just on the ice. On the ice, obviously, is but off the ice, how they take care of themselves, what they do in the gym, every single day for these young players to see that it's it's uh it's it's unbelievable for us to have that when it comes to the things that players are learning from a guy like tj tynan is the development staff's priority more on developing a style of play or a style of person if that makes any sense like is it more important to learn how to be a professional to learn how to you know commit to your craft or are you trying to, you know, focus on like learning the one three one, just for an oversimplified uh, example? Yeah, that's or- a system. Uh, the systems you have to understand to be able to do that. But you have to under you have to learn how to be a pro. You, you know, we you can't be a. I don't want to say like you can't be an ass off the ice. You can't be a bad teammate. We don't want any bad teammates. We want everyone to be a good teammate. And and you have to work at your craft, like you just said. You have to work at your craft, but you. And it's just not on the ice. You have to work at your craft off the ice. You're a pro, you're a professional hockey player now with the LA Kings. We expect you to do these certain things as a forward or a centerman, and we expect the defenseman to be able to do this, this, or this. We teach that. And that's why our development staff is so, so good that we understand what the LA Kings, what Robin's staff want you to be able to do to be an LA King. You have to be a professional and it's not junior anymore. It's not college. It's not the SHL in Europe. It's, it's, this is the LA Kings organization. And yes, we are going to expect a lot of you and you have to work at your craft. You have to work at your game. It's continuously, it's in the off season. It's, it's, and it's hard because it's, it's, you're playing 82 games or 72 now in the American League. If you're in the American League, it's 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 busy. It's very busy. Travel and eating right and working out and and getting your rest. It's a whole bunch of things. It's just not very rarely is a guy coming like I said before coming to the NHL and score 30 goals right away. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen very often. So there's there's an adjustment period for sure. Next one's a fan question, and based on 
you sort of answered it just now. So I'm going to put maybe a, a little bit of my own spin on it. The question was, how much does mental development overlap with physical development? And what role does the development team play in working on that? Um, so here's my, here's my spin on it. Um, guys that go through junior, right. They don't have the collegiate experience. Even guys that go to college, maybe only have a year or two. I don't know how it works in Europe as far as them learning independence, but I know from my own path through life, you know, coming out of school as a young adult, you go from knowing where your next meals are going to come from, knowing the ever roof over your head, someone's paying for your car, your insurance, someone's taking care of your taxes, your health, your medical, all of that. And suddenly, you know, there's all these lessons that they don't teach you in, in school about how to live as an adult. It sounds like you guys are, are not only just teaching them to be better hockey players, but maybe coming up with like a, you know, a, a bachelor course in how to be an, a, an adult outside of hockey. Have there been any players that, that you've worked with that maybe didn't pan out into NHL players, but that you know are succeeding in a different field um, that have given you credit or that you have been proud of, you know, just as people, you know, as a result of the work that you were able to do with them? Yeah, I don't think anyone really great at this moment comes off the top of my head, but I know that we, we care for every player that comes through our organization, no question about it. I mean, we have, we give them every opportunity to be successful, not just with the development staff. And like you said, it, 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 every statement you just made there, but when you left college, you're like, okay, now I got to pay my own bills. So this is just as all the players get drafted, they have to, they have to find an apartment to rent. They have to get a car. They have to understand. They have to go to the grocery store. They have to get food for their apartment. They have to make sure they find an apartment they can afford monthly. Everyone's different. They have to, I mean, it, there's all sorts of different things, right? Don't be eating at McDonald's every day. You have to eat healthy, uh, you know, all these different things. And it's a lot that comes on your plate right away. So we, we try to help them as much as we can. I mean, we're very lucky. We have Carrie Oliver as a nutritionist. She is fantastic with helping the players uh understanding what you know what foods are good for you what foods are bad and and she really helps them out a lot with that certain situation and we try to help them out as much as you know talk to their agents about whatever here here's an area that's you can live and maybe these apartments are, are, are affordable or this is affordable or maybe we have a place that we can help them get a car if they want to buy a car or even sometimes, I know it's crazy as it sounds, get their license, get their driver's license. They're 19, 20 years old and they don't have their driver's license. Who would ever thought, but it's true. That happens. And, you know, you can't, you have to have, you have to be able to uh, be independent. And, and and adjusting to all that, those things is, uh, it's not easy. And you got to play, perform every night on the ice. So it's, it's, that's, it, it's a whole bunch of things that come into being a professional. You certainly forget about some of those little things. Like I remember when I worked with the rain and one of the younger European players, he had to write a check for something. And he's like, can you show me how to do this? It's like, he's never had to write a check in North America. I think it's different over there. And it's just like those little skills that you, you kind of forget that some of these guys are 19, 20 year old kids playing in a foreign country. And sometimes those little things can maybe impact the bigger thing. So it's important. I think that, that those things are focused on too. Oh, oh, exactly. They, they, you're right, Zach. They've never had to write a check. We've had, 
one player, and I won't say his name, run out of gas going to the <laughs> practice, run out of gas in his vehicle to go to, to go to practice and miss practice. So it's, those are examples. I mean, it doesn't happen very often, but it's, it's you can <laughs> laugh about it now, but it was, it happens. Those things happen. They, they just, it's, it's a lot of things that come on their plate and you know, they're young players. They're tired a lot. They just want to sleep all the time because it's, it's, you know, practice in the morning. You have to eat right. Then you had travel. Then you have the game. You don't miss your plane. Don't miss, you know, don't sleep in. It's, it's a whole, whole whack of things that, uh, is thrown at them. All right. I've sort of saved this for last and, and I don't want to take up your, your whole day, Glenn, but, uh, just one or two more things that we have to get to. And I'm going to sort of crowbar this one in here right now feel free to uh to shy away from it if you're not interested in revealing state secrets as we say but uh the fans would not uh let me not ask about alex turcott and his status at the moment yeah i think no i i, I of course i can answer that i think alex is, is is getting healthy the most important thing is you know he's had a he's had a tough go at it the last uh you know he, uh, he got hurt last year a couple of times but he's Last time I talked to him, he's doing fantastic. He's having a great off season. Uh, he's in a good place. He's really looking forward to coming to a rookie camp. Um, he's been, he, he came into development camp, obviously didn't skate. He's working out. He's back skating. So it's all positive signs. Uh, like I said, the last time I talked to him and, uh, as a staff, we're really looking forward to, uh, you know, getting him back here in, in, uh, September for rookie camp and, and getting off on a good note. And he's super excited to, to start the season. I know it's still middle of the off season and, and late in July, but uh, we're looking forward to getting him back into LA and, and he's having a great summer. We talked a bit already about Ontario, but I'll use this as an opportunity to sort of revisit it. Will, will a guy like Alex Turcotte's role on the rain be influenced by what happens with the LA Kings roster. So for example, if two or three guys that are bubble players to make the Kings wind up starting the season in Ontario, could that potentially push down a player like, you know, obviously you're not going to bump TJ Tynan out of a role, but are, are prospects battling for spots in Ontario as well? Or is there a strategy organizationally to instruct the rain staff, like we need to give certain prospects, certain playing time in Ontario for their development, for the organizational good, or is it a co- competition from, you know, attic to basement? No, I think it's, it's, it's a competition obviously, but if you look at our roster, I mean, you can't necessarily say who's going to be there yet because we have to have camp and they're going to be fighting for a spot in the NHL with the big club. But w- the only veteran we really have is TJ Tynan. We didn't bring Martin Furk back. Uh, you know, not that we don't like Martin Furk, but we have young players that need to get more minutes and to get more time and to get to play with TJ Tynan, to get power play time. And I think there's a lot. We're going to be very young down in Ontario, but there's a lot of players that uh, they're going to give ample opportunity to perform and to make the LA Kings. And if they don't, or aren't ready quite yet, they're going to get every opportunity to play every situation in, in, uh, Ontario penalty kill power play five on five. We're going to be, uh, you know, we're going to be quite young down there. And, uh, we're, like I said, I know I've said it many times, but we're very lucky to have TJ Tynan leading the way down there. 
Uh, one final question from me, uh, Zach, before we get to the real final question. Um, and that is, uh, again, getting back to the pressure issue. There are players that the Kings draft that will then go on to play in the World Juniors or, or other big tournaments like that. As a development staff, when you're watching a guy like Akil Thomas, for example, score that big, huge goal in the in the WJCs a couple of years ago, how much do you learn about the players in your own system from these incredibly small sample sizes with incredibly high pressure on them? You learn a lot. I think, uh, you know, Akil's had a tough couple of years with injuries and this and that. I, For him as an example, we already know that you know he he can he can deal with those pressure situations. He had a great World Juniors there in, in uh, three or four years ago, I guess it is now. Maybe it's four years ago. But uh, you learn a lot. Those are enormous pressure situations, especially if you play. No, not even whatever country you play on. They're they're the Swedish team, the U.S. team, the Canada team, the Finland team. They're those are really pressure situations. So we have that in the back of our head. But you still have to, you know, you still have to. Now it's an adjustment to come into playing in Ontario, playing the LA Kings, and the the World Juniors is different because it's a seven. I think they were seven games or whatever it may be. But every one of those games is so high pressure, and for them to be able to perform or they do perform in those situations, that's a benefit for us. And now we have that in the back of our mind when we have a big their big game moments. We know these guys will be there. You know, and, and and obviously, but they have to have that experiencing, get their reps. Like we say, sometimes we say, get the reps in the American League. Maybe they need reps for two years and to get adjusted to the pro game. And then when the time comes, there's not much adjustment when they get to the NHL. They're just, they know every night is a pressure situation. You can't be a great player every night. You can't be at your best. But those moments, those certain moments that they, they know how to raise the level of their game. Glenn, I could talk to you about this all day. I know Zach could too, but we're going to let you, we're going to let you get on with your day. Zach and I both have stuff to do, but one final question before we let you go. We started out by asking you if you remember who you scored your first NHL goal against. Do you remember who you scored your last NHL goal against? Oh, geez. No, I don't. Someone asked me that and they, and I didn't ever go back and look at it, but, uh, I know who you scored your last NHL goal against. No, I honestly don't. It was, no, I don't. I honestly don't. That's crazy. I do not. Who is if it? I if I give you the team, could you guess the goalie? Maybe. Sure. It was the Toronto Maple Leafs. Okay. It was March twenty seventh, two thousand eight. I'm sure that'll lock it in for you. <laughs> okay. Is that Vesa Toscala? Uh, Oops, sorry. You were about Vesa, to guess. Sorry. No, I no, I wasn't. I, I was I was thinking of him because I know like yeah, but oh really? That's Vesa That's that's yeah. a hundred years ago. Thanks for making me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> and a uh, teammate on your team, uh, which I didn't realize that year, was uh, Marco Sturm, I think. Yeah, Sturm, that's right. All right, well, Glenn, again, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll see you uh, out at, uh, at training camp. All right, thanks, guys. Have a great rest of the summer. <laughs>